0: Um, how are you doing on your preparations? All, all not well. We've done all... Okay. It was, uh, it was interesting. Yesterday morning, um, I decided it was about time I got my act together and uh, sorted out uh, bits for a uh, presents that I was going to be involved in. And, uh, yeah, good old Amazon. Praise God. <laughs> It's all coming, it's all happening, and even as I'm here, and I'm, I know it's a bit bad that there are people, of course, out working today, but Amazon driver, let's see how ingenious you can be at hiding stuff for us. We have uh, this little note um, on our Amazon delivery that states that if nobody is home, if nobody is home, leave the parcel uh, behind the green recycling bin, okay, okay? So that's what we do, because we don't want to be chasing our parcels around. So put it behind the recycling bin. Um, I can't explain some of the interesting places not behind the recycling bin where we have had parcels left. Uh, Phenomenal, really, the ingenuity of uh, our Amazon uh, delivery driver. He's, uh, He's very clever. And I think actually what he does, he puts the card through the door Telling us, and it's a bit cryptic, it says something like, in your back garden. And uh, it's like a little fun, it's a bit of fun, isn't it? Off we go, let's try and find it in, in the back garden. At one point I said, could you, uh, you know, what he used to say, could you leave it in the shed? And, uh, and we have a, a, a table, a, a garden table, which has got loads of holes in it. it. It's not a solid top table, it's a metal with lots of holes in it. And it's chucking it down with rain. And uh, the parcel delivery guy just said, "I left it in the back garden. And and he left it under the table. Not in the shed, but under the table. As the rain is pouring down and there's absolutely no resistance to rain because it just comes straight through the holes of the table. Amazon, love them. So they're helping me prepare. But on our journey to prepare here, um, we've been looking at songs. Last week we looked at Mary's song. This week we're looking at uh, Zechariah's song. Zechariah, who is uh, married to Elizabeth, and their son is John, John the Baptist. And stuff is all going on at the beginning of um, Luke chapter 1. And uh, there's angels visiting and conversations going on. And everything is getting ready for something phenomenal and amazing. Zechariah. So I'll just pick up a little bit about this uh, amazing couple to begin with. Who they were and what they were like. This is how uh, Luke describes uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. I'm see if I can get... To Stuff happening here. Ooh. So, you can get it. Oh, well done. Thank you. It's always handy to have it appear in front of me. Ah, there you go. This is the two of them. This is how they're, they're described. This is their personality. This is their character. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. This is a a beautiful couple who honour God with absolutely everything. So these are a couple, an ideal couple to give charge over the forerunner, the one who who precedes the Messiah, the one who tells the world, gets the world ready for the greatest gift that's going to come. So in the character, we recognise that these are pretty special, chill people. But they recognise as well that they didn't have any children. Says it very clear here, they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well in years. So it seems to be picking up on the fact that uh, they didn't have kids and they probably were not going to have children. That's... Raw deal of it, and then something's going to happen. Something's going to happen that's going to transform all of that. This is uh, how things started. You see, Zechariah was uh, was working, and he was a priest, and he was working up in the temple. And he used to do two shifts a year, the main shifts, the two shifts a year, and he was rotated on, and for uh, two one week periods of time, he would serve within the temple. It was an honour, a privilege, something that uh, he definitely didn't take for granted. Uh, But then there was the opportunity, and there was a ballot, it seems. There's a ballot that uh, is taken by the priests who are serving, and whoever was nominated from this ballot would have the honour of bringing the incense offering. So what happens is the... uh, the priests are all working and serving, and then there's that point in time when they are dismissed, and the uh, the inner court is just left with the one chosen priest, and that is Zechariah on this day. And Zechariah is there, and he's about to do the uh, incense offering before the curtain that holds back uh, our opportunity to see into the Holy of Holies. And he's there and he's about to do this incense offering. And then he has an encounter. An angel turns up. And just like um, shepherds on the hillside or even Mary, as she was having her first encounter with an angel, fear comes in. For Zechariah, there he was, gripped with fear, startled. Everybody's cleared out. It's only him left in the temple. And then somebody else appears. Just a little bit frightened. God was on the move. God was disrupting his day. God was, in a way, derailing the highlight of his priestly activity. There in his act of ceremony, God breaks in. You see, sometimes we we have to be very careful that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater with regard to ceremony and going through a flow and a system of encountering God. There's a great uh, joy in the freedom that we have as, as Baptist Christians We're very free in how we are able to express. We follow a bit of a a set pattern, but we're free in that. There's uh, no liturgical words that we're using week in, week out. But we must also be aware that God moves in our freedom, but he also moves in the liturgy of the church that is operating all around us. And here within the liturgical duties of a priest, God steps in. There is a a, a bit of an encounter, a a conversation goes on. Um, He's told that he's about to have a son, but he doesn't believe him. Sometimes when God speaks to us, he might say things to us that are just a little bit beyond our comprehension. But when we are so stirred and aware that it's God speaking, these are the things that we take by faith and we hold on to. and Say, okay, Lord, just as Mary did, may it be to me just as you say. But the thing is, though, so Zechariah was a little bit concerned. He says, uh, how, can I, how can I be sure of this? Uh, the, you know, my wife's old, I'm old, and you're talking to me about have, having a son. And what's going to go on? And the thing about it is, because there was this uh, questioning situation, there is a a sense of unbelief. And in the midst of this unbelief, there was uh, some chastisement, I suppose, that uh, Zechariah was going to struggle to speak for about nine months. Now you'll be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words which will come true at the proper time. I find myself at times when I read the Word of God, I need to make sure that every time I open the Word of God and start to read the passages of Scripture that are before me day by day by day, as I love to spend time in the Word, I've got to say this is for me. This is for me. This is for us. This is for us as a church, but this is also for us as a town. This is also for us... As a nation, there is a promise within this word that I'm going to pray into being. I I don't want to be silent. I, I don't want to find myself on a list of those who are not believing. So the situation is this. Zechariah finds himself in the temple doing the top man's job, encountering an angel, being blown away by the enormity of what has been shared with him and surprised to the sense that he just can't really believe it and then he finds that his voice is gone. Uh, when he goes home to Elizabeth and maybe she was quite happy about that he might have been one who has a lot to say. But when something so significant is happening there's something that you would actually want the world to know. And then we find his wife Elizabeth, she became pregnant and for five months she remained in seclusion. I I, I don't know what was going on there. It was a shock to her, a surprise to her, hiding herself away. She didn't want to be the gossip of the town. She finds herself secluded. But she recognized this is what God has done for her. And in the midst of the fact that Being barren, not being able to have children was seen as a a curse in society 2,000 odd years ago. Here she finds herself just praising God. Rejoicing in the fact that he's lifted this curse off of her. He's shown favour to her. And here she is giving him honour. Because he has taken away the disgrace that she felt that she had. And then there's this little thing that happens. We picked up on this last week where, where Mary... Mary knocks on Elizabeth's door. Elizabeth is aware, of course, that she is carrying a a child that has uh, got regal tendencies. God's been involved. And then Mary suddenly comes and knocks on her door and says to her, well, actually, she doesn't say because it's Elizabeth who makes this statement. She exclaims, the blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. So there is, in one sense, Elizabeth excited about the fact that she is carrying a child that she thought she would never carry, and then somebody comes knocking at the door, and even in the midst of her joy now in realising that she is a chosen one to carry the forerunner, John the Baptist, the forerunner for Jesus, a young girl, a relation of hers, a cousin, is knocking at the door. And the thing about it, what I love about this is that she takes the focus off of herself and rejoices in the news that Mary's bringing. She says to her, You're blessed are you among young women. Blessed is the child that you bear. I'm so excited about you. One of the things that sometimes I find a challenge amongst people is being able to rejoice in other people's good fortune. Being able to rejoice and celebrate in somebody else's success and favour, even in the midst of the time you may be struggling personally. Isn't it brilliant that we are able to get excited about what God is doing? And not in any way disrespectful in the way that we talk. Not in any way down in our discussions about the fact that God is doing good things. I love to hear stories of people getting saved. I love to hear stories of people getting healed. I love to hear stories of of churches growing and outgrowing and growing and outgrowing and planting. And in the midst of my own situation, sometimes I see things God is doing elsewhere and I think to myself, why not me? But actually, that's not the attitude to have. The attitude to have is to have this Elizabeth attitude that is excited about what God is doing and celebrates what God is doing. I don't want to ever be in a place where I derail the blessing that God wants to bring into my life through the knowledge of what he's doing with other people. Let's get excited. The other thing that I love about this is that Elizabeth starts to praise And doesn't keep it to herself. The scripture says quite clearly there, in verse 42, it says uh, in a loud voice. So when Mary comes to the door and she opens the door and she sees Mary, and this is not, this is like, I'm not keeping this to myself. This is exciting stuff. When we're part of God doing something good, when we're privileged to partner with Him in the great things that He's about, Let's share it with a loud voice. Let's get excited. I'm excited about our upcoming activities. I'm excited about the fact that potentially we might have quite a few people on this property who've never come on this property before next Saturday afternoon. I'm excited about that. I hear the good news of of other people who've done this sort of thing and I rejoice with them and I just say, Lord, do it for me. Do it for us too. Let's get excited. And let's not keep it to ourselves. So, at the back of the room here, I think there's a box full of invitations. Can you all take 20 invitations with you? You've got to take 20 home. On the way out, you'll be given 20. 20. Because in a loud and excited voice, you're going to share with the neighbours ten to the left of your house and ten to the right, or five to the left and five to the right, and then across the road five to the left and five to the right. Let, let's proclaim. Let's let's invite. Let's be expectant about what's going to do with us. God, what God is going to do with us right here? Let's be joyous and excited. And the brilliant thing about this is is that that Elizabeth is excited for Mary and I would believe that Mary, who hangs around for about three months back in Elizabeth's house, that she's excited for Elizabeth. And we believe that Zechariah's excited, but we can't tell because he's not able to speak. But then something happens. A child is born. And it comes to that point in time when A name needs to be given. And the expectation is that the name that Zechariah and Elizabeth's son will have would be Zechariah. But somehow by God's good fortune and how he speaks into people's lives, she knew that it was going to be John. And Zechariah knew it was going to be John because the angel told him it was going to be John. Elizabeth somehow got that by Holy Spirit, inspiration, impartation. And at the moment of of, uh, discussion about what is the name of this special child, John. And then the silence is lifted. And as the silence is lifted, Zechariah starts to sing. We call it the song of Zechariah. Carol's going to read us this song.
1: Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace.
0: Amen. Friday nights, when I was a boy, Friday nights meant that uh, Dad would bring home sweets. The thing about uh, Dad bringing home sweets, he didn't bring it home on Monday, never brought them on Tuesday, never brought them on Wednesday, never ever brought them on Thursday, but Friday night was the night where we would say, as Dad was coming through the door, moments, I mean, he hardly got his key in the lock, we'd be asking, my sister and my brother and myself, what have you got for us? What have you got for us? Well, the thing about it is, it's a funny question, really, because he always had the same. We always had fruit pastels. Friday night was fruit pastels night. So we'd ask the question, what have you got for us? But the reality is that we've always known what he would have for us. If he brought something different, um, yeah, well, I don't know what we would have done. But Friday night was Fruit Pastel Night. And one of the things that I loved about Fruit Pastel Night, which is another thing that I've, I've come to realise, is an important part of our life together as the body of Christ as part of the church. You see, my dad always had the black ones. So, when we would open up our fruit pastels, and what we used to do, because I used to sit on the uh, on the left-hand side of the sofa, so I would have the left-hand arm. My sister would sit on the right-hand side of the sofa, so she'd have the right-hand arm. Uh, My brother used to sit in the middle, he didn't get any arms, but then that's what you get when you're the youngest. And therefore, what we did was we'd open up our packet of fruit pastels, and we would line them all up down the arm. I think my brother just had them in his lap. Oh, he was little. He, I, I think he cared. I don't even think he knew what black was, but it didn't matter. So we'd line them up, and then we'd take out the black ones, and then we would take them over to Dad's chair, and we would put the black ones down the arm of Dad's chair, so that when he came in, after he'd have his tea, and he could sit down, and he would have the black pastels. This was always great, except for those times when you found that there were more black pastels than any other colour pastel, because that was a little bit of a challenge. But one of the things that I've always thought of whenever I think of of our our days as uh, receivers of pastels was the fact that we gave the first fruits of our fruit pastels back to the one who gave us the fruit pastels in the first place. Oh, I, what I didn't realize when I was five, six, seven, eight, nine was that the whole understanding of tithing was being brought into my life and I actually got to enjoy it. You see, the reason why I got to enjoy it was there may be two black pastels, but there were a dozen other colors. So it was great because I could give two because I have so much else left. And when I think about us as a church and I think about giving and how we are to respond to all that God has given to us, that's where tithing comes from. That we would take an amount, set aside each week and we will bring it as our tithes, as our offerings to God. We do that by putting money in the box. We stop passing a bag around because we believe that Giving is a privilege of being part of this church family. And passing the bag around, although it prompts us to remember, but it also becomes a little bit of a stumbling block for guests who have this idea. Many people have this idea. What is the church about? One of the things the church is always about is always about money. So let's stop doing that. Let's stop asking people. But we come to a point of saying we recognise as a church... That it's our privilege to honor God with our first fruits, to bring our offerings to Him. That's why we have uh, an offering box at the back, and that's why so many people here give through the banking system. So, Father, I just want to stop for a moment and just say thank you. Thank you for those who have recognized uh, your hand upon their lives. Thank you, Lord, for the awareness that everything that we have is a gift from you. And thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to bring some of that gift back as a thank offering because you are so worthy, so worthy in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's just recognizing that we asked the question, what have you got for us? And this was our Friday night. What have you got for us? But we knew what he's got for us. But when we hear Zechariah's song, those words that Carol just read out for us, the words that he's starting to speak out publicly are an affirmation and a confirmation of the fact that our God is a God who is on the move and transforming people's lives. And the promises of the past in the Old Testament, although there has been a 400-year time of silence, that silence is now going to be broken, and what's going to happen is that everything that was foretold, prophesied, is now going to be a reality. Isn't that just awesome? What have you got for us, Lord? What I've got for you is everything that I've ever promised you. That's how it begins. The text that we have in the song, I'll just pick out a few pieces um, as as we travel through this. Luke, verse uh, 68 of Luke, chapter 1. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. What have you got for us is the question that we ask. What he's got for us is redemption. Redemption means to be brought back. So what Zechariah says in his song is, the one who is coming is paying the price to buy you back. You are worth the death of God's son. How about that? Or put it in another way, you're worth dying for. And Zechariah picks this up in his song and says, this is the situation, the one who is coming. What I have for you, says the Lord, is Redemption. No longer are you going to be distanced, you are going to be brought back. This is what the word says in the book of Romans. I love the way that Paul helps us to realise where we all stand, because Paul says that all have sinned and fall short. So when I have to ask myself at any time, does that mean me? Am I? Well, are you part of the all? Yes, you are. Well, that's you. So this is what the Word of God says. It says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. We've sinned, separated from God, no chance in our own right, yet God has intervened and has brought us back, redeemed us. Zechariah starts off his song by saying, The one who's coming is the one who's redeeming us. He's buying us back. Hebrews picks up on the fact that uh, there is a price to be paid. The the redemption isn't just like paying a debt with a few pounds. The Hebrew writer reminds us that the law requires everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. For us to come into that place of forgiveness and redemption... It's not just through the birth of God's Son, it's through his death. And because of his birth, and because of his death, we are redeemed. His blood was shed for us. And the fact that all have sinned, all of our sin has been wiped out. So Zechariah says, in answer to the question, well, what have you got for us, Lord? I have a redeemer one who's come to rescue this picks up in verse 69 he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David this thing about the horn the horn of salvation let's have a look what it says here the horn, uh, horn. a horn symbolizes power and victory a horn of salvation the trumpet call is going out the one who has come is victorious, he is powerful, he is strong, he is able to defeat every act of the enemy. What have you got for us, Lord? A rescue plan. And the rescue plan is the one who is to come. He's raised up a horn of salvation, one who is powerful, one who will have the victory. Another verse here, it talks about another phase of, of this message of, Lord, what have you got for us? The fact that there's remission. Remission is usually a word that I only ever hear about in the context of cancer. Is that right? Remission. That, that means it, it's gone. It was there, but now it is gone. You are in a period of remission if what was the disease on your body is no longer there. We find no trace of it. You are in remission. In some sense, you think to yourself, well, why don't you say I'm just, I'm healed, I'm cured, I'm completely set free from this? Remission, it's not there. It's not there. And I love the way that. Zechariah says, For you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. That's the talking about John, the son, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. We're telling you that this which was holding you back, this which was a curse over your life, the sin that's been here from the very beginning, it's wiped out. It's gone. You're in remission. This is good news. So the question is very, very clear. Lord, what have you got for us? And and we recognize here that he's setting people free. And the last one, which I think is absolutely beautiful, is the fact that the one who is to come is coming to shine. The Word of God says that when we were studying together the pictures of Jesus, that Jesus is the light of the world. And this is picked up with Zechariah, who says, Because of this tender mercy of our Lord, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. I just love it because the sun rises. And it's presence we are aware of. It's radiance just glows out over us. And it's as if God's saying to all the people who've been waiting in darkness, the sun is coming. And when he comes, you would recognize his light. And then the one who comes, who is the light of the world, says to people like us who recognize that he is the light of the world, now you go and shine. It is your honor and your privilege. Shine. So, this song, Zechariah's song, picks up on, I just pick up on four things. Four things that remind us what God has got for us. It's not fruit pastels, I know that much. But isn't it so much better? That He buys us back, He rescues us from a place where we couldn't get out of ourselves, He deals with the issue of sin. And we are clear from that. When we come to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Cleanse me. Cleanse me. And that's what he does. He cleanses us. Cleans us up. Fills us with his very, very self. Empowers us to take the next step where we would be. The light in the community where he has placed us. What have you got for us, Lord? Well, I know we're just over a week and a bit away from Christmas Day, but when you're thinking about what God's got for you, I would say reading again uh, Zechariah's song will remind you that he has got so much in store. So much in store. Let's stand together.